S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 20, starring Eric Idle, originally aired on April 23rd, 1977. Welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith, and with me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Keith. How are things, pal? Yeah, they're pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, enjoying some ramen noodles as we uh, as we record tonight. And joining us tonight in the third chair, making her return, her second appearance. We haven't seen her since Ralph Nader back in uh, January of 77. It's uh, Adrian. Hello, Adrian. Hey, Keith. Hey, Matt. Hello. Good to be back, guys. This is delightful to have you back again. We had a lot of fun last time with Ralph Nader. I think we'll have more fun with Eric Idle. That's true. Yes, yes. <laughs> so tonight we have a double musical guest, in a sense. Uh, we have uh, Alan Price and we have Neil Innes. And they're accompanied by the Blue Bobby Band, which is uh, also known as the Saturday Night Live Band. But they're dressed like police officers tonight. So uh, Eric Idle's back. How exciting is that? We saw him back Episode three of this year. Uh, yeah, surprised to see him back twice in a season. Well, three times, actually, because he, he also did the Mardi Gras, remember? Oh, touche. Yeah, he's he's, he's hitting some uh, Buck Henry territory there. <laughs> Adrian, you're a Python fan. I, I know that from our many conversations over the years. Uh, where's Eric Idle sit for you? He's he's high up there. He's, he's not Michael Palin, who's my fave. And John Cleese is John Cleese, but he's he's probably number three. And I really enjoyed this episode and the other Eric Idle episode. I, I watched that one as well. Nice. But I love the the Monty Python feel that both of those episodes had because he was there. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's just jump right in then. The show begins with the uh, sketch called Potato Torture. Eric Idle is a British military person and he has Bill Murray tied up to a chair and he's interrogating him. Bill Murray is a, uh, he's a, he's a bomb maker, and I can only assume that he, it's, a, it's an allusion to the, uh, the Troubles in Ireland, where he's probably a uh, IRA member or something. He's being interrogated. He refuses to talk, and Idol hooks up two potatoes to electrodes. Murray sings through the whole ordeal to, to get himself through these poor potatoes being tortured. Idol then tells him he'll have to talk, or he's going to turn the potatoes into french fries. Murray says, fine, I'll talk, just as Idle's about to, uh, to chop them all up. And Idle says he wants to know if the bomb is live or diffused, what city it's been mailed from, and when it will go off. And Murray answers each question with live, from New York, it's Saturday night. Very unique cold open for me. Really enjoyed this. Uh, it's Murray's first time saying live from New York. Uh, what do you guys think? I loved it. It was a fabulous way to open the episode. It felt very Monty Python. Uh, Eric Idle dressed as a military guy. Perfect. Yeah, it did feel very Monty Python to me as well. You know, I have that pet peeve about the host appearing in the cold open. Uh, so I see they're doing that again. I guess that's it is what it is. But I still don't love it. I like the pop when they come out on stage. But whatever. Still really funny. Bill Murray was hilarious. Yeah, this whole thing was great. And I really liked the uh, the delivery of live from New York at Saturday night. It was fun and unique. The monologue. Eric Idle comes out to home base and he's rolling out a red carpet for himself. 
And out comes character actress, I guess, but she really only plays one character. Jeanette Charles comes out as Queen Elizabeth. Now, we've seen Jeanette Charles in so many things, especially in the 80s. Idol pushes uh, somebody, I think it's Neil Levy, out of his chair and gives it to the Queen. And he does a bit about welcoming the Queen to the show and how much, uh, how many times in your life you're honored to do such a thing. But then he gets to the gist of the whole thing. The U.S. has way more money than the U.K. And they're holding that night, Saturday Night Live, a Save Great Britain telethon. The Beatles couldn't be there, but there is one ruddle. Uh, Idol finds out that Clive Davis donated 20 bucks and they have a big board in back. And uh, Dan Aykroyd comes out as a Mountie for the Kick a Canadian contest. And Queen Elizabeth takes a uh, basically gives him a ball shot with her knees. This was really funny to me. I got the biggest laugh I got out of the whole thing was either Aykroyd coming out as a Mountie or just the uh, the telephone number being 555-1066. Yeah, I, I liked when he was talking about how it's the sort of thing that happens once in your life, maybe twice in your life, three times in your life. It felt very much like the holy hand grenade of Antioch <laughs> and thou shalt not count four, five is just right out. It very much reminded me of that. And I also had an out loud giggle at the phone number being 555-1066. It was cute. I liked it that it was more of a sketch than that, because we've seen some really dredgy monologues lately. I don't remember the last one I really enjoyed. I liked how lively it was, and Eric Idle's just hilarious. The thousands will recall as well. He's my favorite, Python. Mm. Yeah, it's a treat to see him, and he's in all his glory. He's such a natural at this. He changes the whole tone of the, the episode, I find. Eric Idle episodes hit different. Do you guys remember seeing Jeanette Charles in a lot of things? Uh, as soon as up? you mentioned the naked gun, I was like, yeah, the queen in the naked gun. A little note about Jeanette Charles, and I could be wrong, but in my research, she is still alive. She's 94 and uh, fairly recently retired from making Queen Elizabeth appearances. So uh, we go to a commercial and Lorraine does a ad for the American Dope Growers Association. And this is a parody of the, uh, the International Ladies Garment Manufacturer Union ads from the 70s and 80s, which I didn't know the name. I had to look this up on YouTube, but it was actually sort of the beginning of the Think American First about, uh, you know, textile workers and stuff in the States and not to buy stuff from overseas. So she's talking about, uh, you know, the, the benefits of being an American dope grower. And she's joined by a bunch of uh, the other actors and crew members come in and they sing the uh, Look for the Union label song. And that song was everywhere. It's it's even on an episode of South Park. Uh, they do they do a version of this. Um, I got a real kick out of this. Lorraine was absolutely great. I also liked it. Man, Lorraine has amazing hair. I love Lorraine Newman's hair. And I think this is a good example of the show just getting away with something that not a lot of other shows could get away with. But this year on network television you know yeah. it's uh it definitely helped identify it as a late night cutting edge show like oh they're singing about pot i mean it's only the late 70s we got a long way to go baby i i liked the the dope growers union ad as well and lorraine's hair i mean how can you not um i did mostly see it as a chance for eric idol to get changed <laughs> yeah. but that's because i didn't know any of the uh, backstory of the Union First and all that jazz uh, that it was based on. But I did enjoy it nonetheless. So we have a Chiron, and this uh, person has his name taped on all his clothing. We now go to Frost Nixon, 
And it features uh, Eric Idle as David Frost, Dan Aykroyd as Richard Nixon. And these are about, uh, these aired, this is about a week before the Frost-Nixon air, uh, interview started airing. Frost asks Nixon about his memories of childhood, and Nixon has very boring memories of his childhood, making breakfast and uh, and the way faucets work. Uh, it's very similar to Gilbert Godfrey's later impression of very old Groucho Marx. Frost uh, talks to the camera and says that they've got about 20 hours of this. Julie Nixon, played by Gilda, comes running in asking for the tape to be stopped because Nixon is coming off bad. So Frost asks the the director to stop the tape, but he winks, saying, you know, keep it running. Frost asks Nixon about Watergate, but there's audio problems. Frost throws to another clip from the 18th hour, and this is Nixon talking about cereal. Bored, uh, David Frost turns to Pat Nixon, played by Jane Curtin, and she's asleep, and they start talking about uh, having checkers stuffed. Checkers the dog. Nixon walks to the camera, starts doing the checkered speech, and then he makes Frost, who he calls Henry, referring to Henry Kissinger, get down on his knees and pray. This is similar to how they did in the Nixon's last days last year. To me, I mean, everyone knows I like Nixon. Uh, I like the Frost-Nixon story. I've watched these interviews. I've watched the movie. There's elements of truth in this sketch that are very, very well done. Interesting thing to me is that my father was a uh, my father was a Python fan, and actually the first while he watched Python, he used to come on if the hockey game would end early, they'd stick a Python or a Doctor Who on. Dad thought Eric Idle was David Frost for a very long time, so that kind of brought that back to me. Uh, I didn't I didn't love this sketch though, even though it was pretty close at certain spots. It was a little too long for me. And uh, if they waited till the actual Frost Nixon interviews aired and parodied those rather than what they sort of thought was going to be the Frost Nixon interviews, I think it might have both went off better with the audience, and uh, I probably would have enjoyed it more. No, that's fair. Um, I love the fact that your dad thought Eric Idle was. Frost. Um, the credits was the part that I found the funniest about it. Um, even parts throughout the end where it's like so-and-so with David Frost. Uh, the, the credits were great. Yeah, I thought, it, I mean, the, the two guys were so good in it, that, but uh, I, it just wasn't very funny, I found. Uh, the, the, they're just throughout there. I mean, Eric Otto was really funny at first, but as you mentioned, Keith, it just kept going. And then it just kept going again there was not enough not enough jokes you're, you're probably right they should have waited because at least they'd have something to uh something to work with they got nothing to work with i i did like i mean i i've said it a few times i love dan Aykroyd's nixon more than probably his carter actually oh yeah, yeah. and i liked how crazy nixon has become like he's really become unhinged you know yeah his stories were uh i did like his <laughs> he kept talking about the 20s <laughs> Yeah, it was it was just too too much, too much. Yeah, it was a lot of the same thing over and over, although that same thing was funny. Yeah. Like talking about the taps, that's how my parents' bathroom tap works. I thought it was great, but it didn't need to keep going. So uh, Eric Idle throws to Alan Price, and this is a, a British musician. He was a founding member and the keyboardist for The Animals, but he left in 1965 and started doing his own thing. And Price Sings Poor People. It was released as a single in 1973. I can't say I didn't like this. There's just some, there's something fun about the song. What I really liked about the musical performances in this whole episode is that they felt like they were part of the telethon and they fit more as sketches than as separate musical acts. 
Now, that could be because I wasn't sure if Alan Price was supposed to be a comedy song or if it was like a very 1980s greed is good type of thing. But in my mind, it was a comedy song and it was fitting in with the whole telethon part of what Eric Idle was doing with the Queen. I never thought of it like that. I mean, I, I want that to be true because I really thought it was very, very bad as a just a that's as a straight musical performance. I I it was very lifeless and boring and anemic and just everything I hate about music in the early Saturday Night Live seasons. Uh, but I never thought that maybe it's part of the joke. I don't know. I mean, I hope it was because if it wasn't, I hate the song. But if it was a joke, I loved it. It does fit in a telethon theme, whether that was the intention or not, I think. Our next bit is a Gary Weiss film, and uh, it's called Body Language. And this is has images of people uh, in Central Park narrated by Eric Idle. And he's talking about body language. And we see Bill Murray, uh, who originally starts sort of crunched over and bound up. And his body language indicating his attraction to Lorraine, who walks by and sits on a bench across from him. And then we see Lorraine's body language indicating her interest in Murray. And uh, it just goes through different bizarre bits of uh, body language. And we see uh, Idol playing a character who needs to go to a bathroom. Neil Innes is dodging cars because he's a man who's not well insured. Garrett... Morris, being an insurance agent, picks up on these symbols, sells then sells the man uh, insurance. We see a foreigner trying to get directions from Murray how to get to a restaurant with some very strange uh, body language, and uh, Murray doesn't understand and shoots him. And then we see like various other folks doing small bits of funny things, demonstrating what's going on in their lives. Um, I really liked this. This was a very very funny movie. It was Gary Weiss with. Uh, Definitely a strong Python-esque Eric Idle influence in there. Heck yeah. I thought it was great too. You know, it's easy to make me laugh with a Gary Weiss film because I'm not always expecting to laugh. And it was so fun to see the cast in it. It's, it's interesting. Like, I wonder why that just doesn't happen more often. Oh, to be a fly, I guess. Everybody was really good. And I really liked Lorraine on the bench. And uh, Bill was really good on the bench too. That was my favorite part. The the gun part really caught me off guard. Uh, yeah, as far as Gary Weiss films are concerned, definitely toward the top of the list for me. I loved it. Yeah, I dug it as well. I loved the part where Lorraine man spreads wider than Bill Murray. It's just it was it was great. So uh, Chiron, this person already has the clock set ahead. We then go to Weekend Update, and Jane says the Pulitzer Prize for Broadcast Journalism was awarded to Weekend Update. And Jane thanks the audience, who are not clapping. So a few, uh, high, a few high points for me. Aaron Fleming, Groucho Marx, oddly enough, is trying to avoid the press after losing the right to be Groucho's conservator. Uh, she, she wears Groucho glasses to disguise herself. Alex Haley is accused of plagiarizing parts of Roots. He denies the claims and is going to return to his newest work, Moby Dick. Bill Murray does a very awkward thing about spanking in schools uh, in light of a, a Supreme Court decision that uphold, upheld the right for corporal punishment in school. Murray gets into a very sort of unsettling story about spanking an 11-year-old girl. This turns into memories of him being teased in school and being a loner, his parents' divorce, his grandfather's death. Yeah, and he gets into uh, just the joy he has of spanking a child. 
It's got very, very, very probably creepiest thing we've seen on the show yet vibes. What does work, though, is Jane's look of absolute shock and disgust at the end of it. And I got to say, the audience was really into that. Bill Murray made me wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> There's that. Um, yeah, I'm, I know he was supposed to, or I hope he was supposed to. It was well done, but deeply disturbing. I loved it. I thought it was great late night television. This is what I this is what should be on late night TV. This weird, creepy shit. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So we now go to Oxon, and it's an it's an oil company ad, uh, video clips of the operations of an offshore oil well with Don Pardo narrating. He basically says the cost, the high cost of making such a commercial is an example why oil prices are so high. We then go to Emily Latella, and Jane announces this with great uh, annoyance. Emily admits that she's been having fun with her editorials, and she refers to the man that she's fallen in love with. We... We heard about this last week, I think, or week, last week, yep. And the man she's in love with turns out to be Tom Snyder. Emily says, I will follow him, but says swallow instead of follow. And uh, she gets some laughs here. We don't really get into much of the usual Emily shtick. It's definitely on the, uh, definitely on, uh, on the surface, but we don't go too much deeper than that with this Emily. This is kind of fun, this sort of new take on Emily, but uh, it's it's really too slow of an evolution for me to really be behind it, um, other than Jane's just complete disgust. It's a good question to ask. Is it too little, too late for Emily Latella? Because I enjoyed watching this, definitely. But at the same time, when I saw her come out, I still groaned. I also found that they made her smaller. They shrunk her seat down. Quite significantly, because Jane looked really big uh, beside her. That was interesting. I think they did that on purpose, of course, to change that dynamic. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that it's not her usual shtick, at least, you know, not all in with it. And uh, Jane's disgust continues to speak for all of us uh, on a deeper level. Yeah, Jane, great. I still didn't care for Emily Latella, but I appreciated the fact that it wasn't as much of it. My mom always loved when she called Jane a bitch and that didn't happen this time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There was no bitch this time. There was no bitch. Um, but it was, it was shorter. So it was better. Yeah. We now go to the heavy wit championship and this is done up to look like a boxing match and it's Eric Idle facing John Belushi. Dan Aykroyd is the ring announcer. Garrett's the referee. O'Donohue and Zweibel are in one corner, and Franken and Davis are in the other. And these two uh, combatants uh, dance around as if they're boxing. But it turns out they're just dropping bad one-liners to each other, and Murray and Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are on the commentary. In round two, Idol comes out with a pie, but he misses, and Belushi counters with a pie of his own and uh, dumps a slop bucket on of pudding, I think, on Idol, and the match is over. I didn't like this. I really wanted to. The beginning bit looked great. Everything about it looked great, um, especially Michael O'Donoghue was the corner man. He, he looked adequately sleazy. But there were just the jokes that were there were supposed to be bad, but something wasn't working. And uh, and Bill Murray was laying heavy on the cue cards in this one. So, uh, yeah, this one, uh, a very reluctant and disappointing thumbs down from me. Yeah, it had so much potential. And this 
the set was great. Everyone's costumes were great. Gilda as the ring girl was just adorable and fit in perfectly. And it could have been so much, but it just wasn't. I'm like you. I really wanted it to be good. We're all uh, we're all on the same page tonight. It's going to be interesting to see our scores at the end of the episode to see reflective of that. So we now have uh, Neil Innes coming out as Ron Nasty from the Ruddles. And he sings Cheese and Onions. And this is a really well done parody of uh, John Lennon's solo work. Of course, Ron Nasty, known as the uh, Ruddle who lives in New York. So, uh, yeah, I like this. I don't have much to say. I, I, I like Neil Innes's stuff. Yep. And the song was good uh, in its own silly way. Sounded like John Lennon. Again, like the Alan Price from earlier, felt like it fit in with the telethon uh, shtick that was going on. Um, I just really dug it. Oh, finally different pages no way this was bad (laughs) did not like this i thought the song was silly but yeah i didn't think he looked like john lennon yeah he sounded a little bit like john lennon but this is like 1977 that was john lennon nine years ago now like get with it we have a chiron and this person is painfully outgoing we now go to a sketch called the battle of britain and it's introduced by lorraine newman talking about the struggles of the uk's film industry and she uh, introduces the Battle of the Battle of Britain uh, movie. There is some uh, weird audio. You can hear like the crew walkie talkies or something like that as she's trying to announce. So the Battle of Britain features uh, uh, Gilda as Cynthia, Jane as Violet, and they meet in a living room where Gilda is missing her beloved Rodney, played by Dan Aykroyd. Jane gives her a letter where he says he likes to think of the day when they said goodbye in her parlor. And it flashes back to the two of them kissing and then saying goodbye. Rodney is going to fly into battle, he says in his letter, with his friends Binky and Tony, who were also there when they said goodbye. And they flash back to the parlor and it shows uh, same night she's introduced to where uh, Gilda is introduced to Binky and Tony. And this repeats with the ground crew and also uh, Herman Gehring gets in there. My God, I, I mean, this is uh, this is a little hard to uh, to recap and do it justice, as many of them are. But uh, I got to say, Battle of Britain, this was brilliant the way they just kept cutting back to that same night. I, I absolutely loved this sketch. I'm sure you're not surprised, Keith, but I also absolutely loved this. And then yeah. when they when they trot out the ground crew and then they trot out Garing, I was like, this is the best sketch that has ever happened. And I love it. It was so dumb and it worked so well. And yeah, I, I definitely did not like it as much as you guys, but I, I, I did think it was uh, OK. I did. I felt a little long to me. I really like Belushi as Herman Goering. He looked silly in that stupid uniform. And he it's one of them rare times where he mugs at the camera and does the eyebrow thing that I really laughed. Everyone seemed to be having a really good time with it, too. They yes. knew how stupid yeah. it was, but that it was somehow working. It was, it was, I loved it. And having had to watch a lot of, you know, shitty British made war movies, it's pretty accurate in, in many ways, too. I also liked when Gilda was reading the letter and it was the battle and her head was like bobbing with the <laughs> yes. kick out of that. <laughs> so we have more with Idol and the Queen, and they introduce Neil Innes for his next song, Shangri La. Now, this is an interesting uh, performance. He uses a couple of stages for this. Um, and uh, the, 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 as they have been all night, the band is done up as 
police officer and there's some life-size cutouts running around. This has kind of a, it has the telethon theme, but it also has sort of a, a sinister children's show feel about it. I really, really liked this, and it, it's it's enjoyable, probably more for the performance than the actual music, but yet at the same time, the song was good too. It felt very much like the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour, uh, the yeah. same sort of vibe, which is my favorite Beatles album. I also really like this. I have a little note next to it that I love it. Also, what is he wearing? Um, yeah, it just it made me smile. Two out of three ain't bad. I wrote down that you, I said, Matt might like this because it reminds me of that late 60s Bowie album with like Laughing Gnome and stuff. Yeah, it was the other way. And I, I can see what you mean. There's the the uh, the old, uh, yeah, those early David Bowie albums with the, uh, the Anthony Newley sound. And uh, it is, it had none of the charm for me. We now go to Plain Talk, and this is actually, it was originally on the Rotland Weekend Television as gibberish, so this is a retread, and the original one had Henry Wolfe in the Aykroyd role. So Idol hosts this show, and it's a talk show, and he asks uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Dan Aykroyd is his guest. So basically these are, it's just an interview using gibberish questions, uh, Idol asking and, and Aykroyd responding. This was really, really well done by both of them. I, I was really impressed by... Uh, by idol and i was like oh geez this is going to be tricky but Ackroyd more than held his own doing this gibberish stuff in a very casual how things go sort of way and actually having seen the other one a few times i, I actually preferred Ackroyd's performance to wolf's on the original this was really good it's unfortunate it was a like i said a retread from another show but uh, but i liked it yeah it felt like a really impressive and masterfully done improv game and I was just really impressed the whole time I was watching it. Dan's a mad genius. He uh, he can really do anything well, it seems, when you watch him on the show over time. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked that it was short. We now go to Trans Eastern Airlines, and it's Lorraine as Sherry Norwalk again. And she's welcome everyone to the airplane. Idol holds a gun up and asks, uh, she asks him to put the gun away, but he says he'd like to hold it. Lorraine does the standard intro and walk. Uh, the you know the the stewardess walk up and down the aisles. Jane notices Eric's gun and uh, she asks if it's she says it's nice and has one of her own. She has a gun. Belushi has a Doberman pincer and a machine gun and asks if he can go smoke with Jay in the bathroom. Lorraine goes and offers Garrett a magazine. He has an Uzi and he wants a Hustler magazine. And uh, Ackroyd, as the captain, says he's willing to take anyone wherever they want to go. They say they want to go to New York and be on time. He says, that's tricky. They can never land in New York on time. Then they recognize Sherry as the, the uh, flight attendant from the commercial. And they ask her to do the commercial. At first, she shyly says no. And then everyone on the plane points a gun at her. She does her bit from the commercial where she says, you get your own gun on Trans-Eastern Airlines. This was a weak one for me. I don't know. I don't think it's 9-11. I just think this was a bad sketch, but... Uh, I don't know. Everyone having guns on planes is, I don't know, still kind of a, I don't know, touchy subject for me, I think. But uh, but there was some good performances and moments in here, but maybe it just needed another another go around in the wash. But this this was not as good as everything else. Love seeing Lorraine doing Sherry again, though. Yeah, I'm with you. It just it felt off and like it, it was more guns than it had to be. The Doberman was great. Again, maybe it's just me being uncomfortable. I mean, it is late night TV. 
It didn't sit well with me. It definitely had a shock factor to it. I couldn't believe they were all wielding guns in an airplane. I know uh-huh. we live in a different time, but uh, I got to imagine that it was still uh, a little on the uh, edge even then. You might even say the edge of the edge. So now we go to Alan Price, and he is singing in times like these. And this is from 1974's Between Today and Yesterday. This was much the same as the first one. It's not, it wasn't bad. It kind of has a, I don't know, it has a different vibe than the generic stuff we've heard all year, despite itself being very generic. My my note for it is, he's a comedy musician, right? The horns are great, though, and make me want to tap dance. He, he, I don't know if he's comedy, but he's definitely a make-you-feel-good musician. Okay, because I wasn't sure what his deal was. I don't, I don't like his deal, whatever it is. It's not doing it for me. It makes for very unlively television. Uh, I don't think, I think this is the bad venue for this fella. And I mean, it would almost make sense because there he's like, as like a feel-good entertainer, but it's too schmaltzy. If you just keep thinking of him as part of the telethon, it works. But otherwise, <laughs> it's weird. So we now go to a, uh, we go back to Idol and the Queen doing about the, uh, talking about the telethon. And uh, Clive Davis, who donated $20, and that's the only donation they've gotten all night, he wants his money back. So Bill Murray comes out to entertain the masses, and he chugs a bottle of grape juice, or at least he tries. He only gets maybe about half of it done. And throughout, you know, anytime we've seen Idol introducing something, it's typically been the uh, the telethon. Some fun bits, but nothing, I guess, bothered to mention. So we now go to the good nights, and it's everybody manning the phones. They now have $35 million raised because Exxon has bought the Queen. Eric Idle does a bit about setting your clocks back and how they should really be set back on a Monday morning when you're not up to anything. And the cast who have been manning the tables, their way to home base for the for the good nights. Yep, the $35 million and a vest. John Belushi's vest. Yeah, I noticed that Eric Idle, too, he just seemed to be kind of going along and they, Belushi tapped him on the shoulder and he's like, oh yeah, okay, good night. So uh, let's get into our, our wrap up and our epilogue. So the host, uh, Eric Idle, he's very good at bringing a unique quality that's distinctly Eric Idle, but yet he he blends in very well with the cast. And Neil Innes, who I enjoyed, was, was definitely there because of the uh, Idle connection. Again, I thought we had another great hosting job from Eric Yeah, Idle. I loved him as the host. I loved him in the host in the other episode. It was great. He was much better than Ralph Nader. So much better. He does, he does bring his own unique vibe to the show. They do hit different. And he is good. He's good at blending in. Breath of fresh air. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Always welcome. Idol, sort of like Buck Henry and sort of like Steve Martin, never really out of character. Do you think that makes a difference? Yeah, it probably does. I, get, I never thought of that, but you're right. And I bet you it does. It has to a little bit, right? Yeah, and if he did something that you didn't like, it would just be the character. It wouldn't be him specifically. So that's, maybe that's part of why it works. Because he, he he never comes out and says, it's a pleasure to be here. I've, you know, done this. I've done that. It's, I don't know. He, he creates, there's a, there's a character that is Eric Idle that isn't yeah, Eric Idle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the music, a few episodes back, I talked about how like the SNL music segments, they're very generic. Even when they're good, they all have the same sort of feel. It's it's SNL, but it could just as easily be The Tonight Show or 
or uh, whatever. And I found Neil Innes gave something really, truly unique tonight, just like Frank Zappa did at Christmas time. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, Alan Price, not so much. But uh, but again, if, if you take uh, Adrian's suggestion and just think of him as part of the telethon, it definitely works. I'd give Neil Innes a thumbs up for sure, because he was definitely good whether he was part of the telethon or not. Alan Price only works if I think of him as part of the telethon. My own headcanon makes it work for him. Besides that, he'd be pretty boring. I'm on board. I'm, I'm buying into uh, what Adrian's selling. That's part of the show. So uh, I'll let it slide and not count it. But then what do I have? It was too corny, too something. I don't know. It wasn't serious. Something it lacked tone or something. I, I don't know how to quite describe it. So Eric Idle, we're going to get to see him again. I think it's season four we see Eric Idle again. We we, we don't get him next year. Um, Innes and Price, that was it for them. Uh, Innes is, I mean, they considered him the the, the seventh python. Um, he, uh, he, blend of comedy and music, kept going for years and years and years. And uh, did started doing some like mini tours, but he passed away in, in 2019. He has one of my favorite quotes about music, and it's, ladies and gentlemen, I've suffered from my music. Now it's your turn. So I think Matt can buy into that one. <laughs> um, Price was a, you know, standard music thing. He was kind of, I, I really think he was like a forebear to what Randy Newman will ev- eventually become. He's uh, He worked in film and television for a while and still did some music. A couple of tours with the uh, reunion tours with the animals. Uh, well into the 2000s, he was still going. As of a couple of years ago, he was doing smaller tours around the UK. He's still alive. He's around 80 years old now. But yeah, we don't we don't see Innes or Price again. We might see Innes in some pre-records at some point, but as far as live on the show, this was it. So what was your worst sketch of the night, folks? Mine was between Weekend Update or The Airplane. And because there were some decent parts of Weekend Update, other than Bill Murray making me really, really uncomfortable, I'll say the airplane is my worst sketch of the night. That boxing thing. What was that? It was too long, too silly. The jokes weren't there. Bill Murray was weird. Swing and a miss. I will say Bill Murray was weird in that. I mean, that's strange when you think of what he did on Weekend Update, that Bill Murray looking weird in in the boxing thing is what really stands out for Bill Murray weirdness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for me it was oddly enough between the uh trans-eastern airlines and the boxing match and i went with the uh, airplane over the boxing only because the boxing looked so good and trans you know the trans-eastern airlines didn't have that production value to it but that was the only thing that, that separated those two so what was your best for the night oh 100 it was battle of britain it just tickled me in a way that was meant to be uh, I guess first, before I uh, formally declare my favorite, I, I want to say that my second favorite was totally that airline sketch. Surprised uh, that uh, you guys don't like it as much because I just thought, uh, I don't know, I thought it was really off the wall. And I appreciate that in my late night TV. And I guess I appreciate discomfort so much so that my favorite segment of the night was Weekend Update, probably. <laughs> Thanks to because uh, I did like the Emily, Emily Littell a bit. I thought Jane was good, and uh, I did really like Bill Murray's segment. I thought it was weird and different, and 
I dug it. I'd like everyone to note uh, it is April 23rd, 1977, and Matt said I liked the Emily LaTelevis. <laughs> I mean, I like that they're, you know, I appreciate that they're trying to do something different with the character because the character is a big hit and they know it's a big hit, but they, you know, so they're like, fuck, we can't just keep literally rolling it out there with nothing. No, and Gilda's still got three seasons to go. So we'll, we'll see where Emily goes in this, in this journey. But no, I, I appreciate that as well, Matt. And it's not easy to take an established character and change them the way they have even so far with Emily. So yeah, yeah. My favorite as well was also Battle of Britain. It was just the perfect mix of history and silliness and 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 all the good stuff in there. High marks for me. So who was your star of the night? I guess it's got to be Idol. It would normally be Bill Murray, I guess. <laughs> but he made me too uncomfortable. Although Jane, you, you know I love Jane, and she did sell the, the creepiness of Murray. So no, I'm sticking with I'm sticking with Idol. This was a pretty tough one for me because uh, I did think, uh, you know what? Maybe I need to make an on-the-spot decision here. It was Lorraine Newman. I really liked her in the airline sketch. I thought she was great. Uh, she was terrific uh, in the uh, the weed commercial bit. It all worked for me tonight when she was on screen. And uh, But I, I mean, I wanted to pick Bill Murray. Oh, my gosh. When I, when I thought about just what I enjoyed watching the most, it was just her. Yeah, the boxing took took Murray down a bit for you, probably. Eh? Yeah, I mean that that doesn't help. And Dan Aykroyd was in some stinkers tonight too. Yeah, Aykroyd's Aykroyd's actually my pick for tonight. Um, it was tricky. It was really tricky. But uh, his his bit in the Battle of Britain, his uh, gibberish bit with Idol, uh, this was tough because Murray had his best night yet. Um, Lorraine was great. Gilda was great. Jane was great. The only ones I didn't get anything from tonight of any substance were actually Belushi and Garrett. And even them guys were, were good in, in what little bits they had. So overall, uh, first things first, this to me is the first episode where Bill Murray feels like he belongs there. He seems like a full cast member and he's just not sort of a, a tack on or, or what will later kind of be known as the featured players. Consequently though, we don't get much Garrett or Belushi. Um, uh, the cast was all over this show. They did some really, really good stuff. And it was well anchored by Idol as host. Everyone had their time with Idol, which I really liked. It was the best Gary Weiss film in a while. It definitely has Eric Idol's fingerprints all over it, but it's still a Gary Weiss film. The music was different, and that's a good thing. Is Like I said, some of the good stuff uh, and a lot of the bad stuff seem to just be coming from the same sort of feeling. I like Innes anyway. His parody of Lennon and Shangri-La were good departures for me, and, and Price was inoffensive enough. The weaker sketches were long and kind of didn't work for me. They were kind of boring, like uh, the airlines, the boxing, and even Frost Nixon, which I was really looking forward to. Uh, I haven't seen that one in about 10 years, and I was really looking forward to it, and it's not what I remembered. And Oddly enough, I thought Weekend was kind of, or Weekend Update was kind of weak too this week. Uh, I know Matt's going to probably take umbrage with that. That being said, though, uh, this was a good show. It was really, really good. It was, it, it flew. It was one of the quickest watches I've had all season. And what was good compensated more than adequately for the bad, but there was enough bad to not keep it in the top, top tier. So I gave this one a 7 out of 10. Now, I haven't seen as many as you guys. And the last one I did with you guys was Ralph Nader. I 
really did enjoy this episode. The The good stuff was great. Uh, the musical guests in my head canon, it fit in as, with the telethon. So everything flowed really nicely. I love Eric Idle. The parts that made me uncomfortable, I chalk that mostly up to my own discomforts with the airplane. And well, Bill Murray was weird in Weekend Night Day, but he was supposed to be. So I get that. So I would give it even a nine. So I guess for me, uh, when I think about things I remember, uh, I did like the cold open. The monologue was fine. Uh, the music was terrible. Weekend Update was a big hit for me. The Frost Nixon was bad. The boxing bit was stupid. Uh, did I mention I hated the music? I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> but it was still an above average episode. But, it, you know, it didn't knock me. So I'm going to give it a 6.5. So with uh, my 7, Matt's 6.5, and Adrian's 9, we wind up with a 7.5. And the IMDb gave this one a 7.7. So we're actually ridiculously close to uh, to what the uh, internet thinks about this one. Yeah, yeah, it's rare. We, we don't often get that close to the, uh, to the, the masses. Based on the uh, scores and stuff, this is the 6th best of Season 2. And it's the 86th best to date based on the IMDb scores. So that seems right to me. I, I might even bump this one up a bit from sixth best to maybe fourth or third or fourth. But but uh, very enjoyable show, I think. It was really unique. I did appreciate that about it. It didn't feel like just another Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed tonight's show. Eric Idle, I, I kind of had a feeling you'd like this one more than Nader. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You're coming back for season three. You're here at least twice. Yes, I am. And you picked two amazing hosts for season three. We're not going to tell Matt who they are, but I'm really excited to get your uh, your perspective on both of them. I'm very excited to go through both of them. I like to be surprised on a week-by-week -week basis. So, Matt, you and I are going to be back next week. Do you know who the uh, the host and the musical guests are? I heard the host, Shelley Duvall. It is Shelley Duvall. And the musical guest? I don't know. Joan Armatrading. Okay. Am I saying the name right? I don't think so, but I don't know so. Ar Armatrading? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know who she is, though. Yeah, yeah. Excited? Yeah. We'll see, eh? Yeah. And that's our second last episode of season two. It's coming to an end. I am excited for that. I'm excited for season three. Because in season three, this show is like superstardom level. Yeah, it's the highest ratings, I think. Uh, I really don't pay any attention to the ratings. I really should, maybe. <laughs> I do I get know. curious. It's one area that doesn't interest me so much, and that's probably very counterproductive to what we're trying to do. We're historians. Yeah. This is a service. Well, Matt and I will be back in about a week, but until then, I'll be learning how to read the ratings and finding some Nielsen houses here in SN Hill. <laughs>